This week on FX Guide TV. We sit down in a one-on-one -on -one interview with industry legend and VFX supervisor Joe Leterrier of Weta Digital to discuss The Hobbit, an unexpected journey. This and more coming up next. This podcast is brought to you by the new FX PhD Resolve 2012 Fast Forward course. Download 10 classes instantly covering DaVinci Resolve 9 and take your color grading skills to the next level. Visit fxphd.com. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. Expected to be one of the biggest films of the year and certainly in prime position for next month's Oscar race, Peter Jackson has returned to direct The Hobbit and Mike and the team went to Wellington last month to visit Weta during the final hectic days and hours before the delivery. Far to the east, over ranges and rivers, lies a single solitary peak. The dwarves are determined to reclaim their homeland. Well, I'd have to say when we started uh, working on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, a lot of what we were facing was unknown to us. We were looking at, at many of these things for the first time and just really trying to come up with solutions a lot of times by the seat of our pants. Uh, you know, a lot of intuition, a lot of artistry, a lot of technique, all these things sort of mixed together. Really, that hasn't changed too much in that there's always a mix of artistry, intuition, and technique to make it work. However, we've learned a lot more. We can be much more accurate with the things we're putting up on screen, you know. When we are looking at, at Gollum and the way he blinks or the way his muscles move, we now have a much better understanding of what the causes and effects are of what we're seeing on screen. And so we're much more able to, to really cut to the heart of the matter, whether it be a performance or creating a, a bit of a, a landscape or, or some piece of architecture or clouds. Uh, there's just much more of an understanding of how all these ingredients need to be created to form a believable world when you're creating these fantasy elements. You've had an opportunity to work with some really great directors. Perhaps you could give us a couple of words uh, about uh, both the people that you've been working with recently in the last few years, but also, of course, um, Peter Jackson on this project. Well, you know, coming back to Middle Earth in general has been great, and having Peter there to lead the charge has really been ideal. It's been like a homecoming for everyone. I mean, you know, Peter, Fran, and Philippa just all know the world so well, and for us to be able to just immerse ourselves back into it, you know, not only just visually, but with the, the actors that have come back and, and, you know, with the crew and people who were there the first time around, uh, getting to come back and, and kind of be at home again in Bag End, as it were, and, and all the other, you know, places in Middle Earth. And then also with all the new people that have come on to join the production this time around, you know, getting to see it for the first time and getting to experience it. It's been a really nice mix. Must be kind of strange in a way to get a chance to go to a character like Gollum again because you've got advances in technology, but we don't want the character to really change. Yeah, that's right. Gollum was was unique for us because we we knew all these things that uh, we could and and wanted to do better in him, but we didn't want to change the way he looked. So how do you take a character? and make him better without really changing him. And, and that's the line that we were really trying to walk with Gollum. So you see him, he looks the same as he always did. You know, we wanted you to know that that's exactly the same character, but if you look at the detail, the nuance of the performance, uh, the way his eyes are behaving, the way his, his muscles are working, all the detail in that is much better, much more accurate, much more realistic than we were able to do 10 years ago. But it's the same character. You know him as soon as you see him. 
We know him, and yet we've never seen him with this kind of image fidelity, nor in stereo. Did that inform you anyway about the character? No, not really. We always put a lot of detail into the characters and, and you know, any of these elements that we're creating for the screen. It's just that now with stereo and 48 frames a second, you're able to see much more of the detail that, that's in there. Well, there is more detail in him now than, than we were able to do 10 years ago. Again, just because the, the computing power has gotten that much more you know, hefty. Uh, but we weren't really driven by the fact that the technology was changing. The technology is actually allowing you to see more of what we're putting into it. So just from a pure pixel point of view, if I was doing something at 2K and it mm -hmm. was in mono, mm -hmm. and I did the pixel count of 2K by about you know, 1080, and I go up to 5K now, mm -hmm. and then I do it in stereo, and then I do it in 4K, mm -hmm. by our maths, that's about 25 times as many actual pixels. Mm -hmm. Where did they right. impact where to digital, and where was it just a matter of, well, it's the same, but we get to see more of it? In other words, there must be an areas that really was no a noticeable difference, and mm -hmm. areas where maybe it didn't sort of change much at all. Yep, so the biggest differences are anyone that has to work directly with the film frame. So uh, people doing the camera tracks, people having to paint out uh, you know, elements or paint in elements that were not in the frame, people working with the compositing, that affects those groups directly plus the processing time that's required to process all those extra pixels, all those extra images. Uh, where it doesn't affect so much is, for example, when you're doing lighting, your lighting you're setting up for the shot doesn't matter how fast things are moving within a scene or how many cameras are, are on it at that particular point. Um, animation, somewhere in between. You've got more frames to work with, so you can be a little bit more accurate with some of the fine movements, but some large-scale movements are not affected by subdividing the frames that much. So it, it really went across the board on, on how it impacted and where you could take advantage of it and, and where you didn't see any difference. I can imagine in a scene with the trolls where you've got lip sync, but it's mm -hmm. interesting dialogue. That, mm -hmm. that could be a, a point where the animators would really benefit from having that extra fidelity and that's exactly right. Lip sync, uh, because of uh, seeing the, the articulation on the lips uh, and the movement of the eyes, definitely benefits from having 48 frames a second to work with. Yeah. So, so um, in terms of the uh, world that was the Lord of the Rings from a realization point of view, one of the solutions that you came up with was using large scale miniatures or bigatures. Mm -hmm. That's something that you haven't done this time. Is that because of the stereo and the way that it was filmed, or was it literally that digital environments are so much better these days? It's a little bit of both, but what really drove that was the stereo. Because we know that in shooting stereo, um, you really have to lock down what your cameras want to be. And we tend to like to keep our shots flexible until all the elements come together and we know exactly what we want. So when you're shooting miniatures in two dimensions as we did on rings, if you make a change to the camera, you can usually cut and paste the miniature elements around and still make them fit the new camera. That doesn't work in stereo any longer. So for, for the reasons of wanting that flexibility, we wanted to create everything digitally. That way we can make everything be open right until the very last minute. Now, having said that, that means we need to drive the, the fidelity of the models, the realism of the, the texturing and the geometry and the lighting so that it looks at least as good as you would expect to see with a miniature or ideally how something would look if it were full scale for real. Because in the, in the Lord of the Rings films, there were some magnificent matte paintings. I mean, just mm -hmm. breathtaking. It must have been kind of fun, because in this film, it feels like there's a bit more camera movement around some of those environments, and obviously they're now three-dimensional because of stereo. Mm -hmm. So it must have been fun to actually 
sort of bring some of those to life? Because we know the locations, but we yes. haven't seen them like this before. It has, and what we've done is adapted matte painting to, uh, to be able to work with stereo as well. We use a technique called two and a half D now, where we still build geometry for things like mountains and landscapes, just in a very rough form. The matte painters are able to project their paintings onto the geometry so that there is a bit of movement as the cameras move around. So you still see stereo. And you've got uh, such a strong team now in your animation department, especially in terms of digital doubles. That's, I guess, opened up a wealth of extra opportunities because there are points now where seem seemingly we're moving between digital doubles and live action actors, though it's very hard to tell on screen. That's right. That, that uh, again, comes out of the, the fact that you're doing all these things in stereo. And so if you have something that in the past you would have been able to maybe shoot an actor for, and cheat some of their movement, like say someone needed to fall a little farther than was, than was physically possible. In the past, you could have taken that image and sort of nudged it across the frame a little bit more to make it look like it's a, a bigger fall you know, than it really was. Can't do that in stereo anymore. So, because the perspective is really apparent, so what you have to do now is uh, turn that person into a digital double. So you might start with the actor, and then you know as they're going through this incredible stunt, you hand over to a digital double, and hopefully you can't see the, the point where that transitions. Sometimes the whole shot is that way, and it's a digital double just from the beginning. Yeah, it seems to me that when we spoke years ago around the, that time of uh, Lord of the Rings, there was uh, the advent of subsurface scattering, and certainly mm -hmm. Gollum was a huge a milestone in that area. Mm -hmm. Of course, Weta's developed a lot more techniques since then. Are you comfortable now with the realism that you're getting on screen? Are you still niggled by it, or do you feel that those digital doubles and digital actors, because it seems to have come so far. It has come far. As you mentioned, Gollum was the first character that we used subsurface scattering for. It was, that technique was developed for Gollum. We've learned a lot more since then. It's one of the extra levels of realism that goes into Gollum and goes into all the digital doubles. It's getting the finer and finer detail that we still have not really matched what happens in the real world with, with human skin, with human faces. So we're, we still think we can get better. So from my perception, this film is not comedic, but it certainly has a slightly lighter tone than some of the others. Was it kind of a fun film to work on? I mean, for example, The Trolls, mm -hmm. uh, they, I mean, they're quite amusing and, mm -hmm. and threatening at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And that does make it more fun to work with, you know, because you, you watch these scenes over and over again. So if the animation is enjoyable, yeah, it, it makes it easier to kind of, you know, break out some of the moments a little bit more. At the same time, there are very dark and intense moments as well. You know, the film has all of those things going for it. So it's nice to, got, to not get stuck into any one tone through the film. But you do have some great new additions to the family. I mean, Barry Humphrey's performance is, uh, is a real highlight, for example. Yeah, the Goblin King was a great character. I mean, you know, he's just pretty disgusting. And it's, that's, you know, again, it's a lot of fun to be able to put a, kind of a character like that on the screen because you can really push the kinds of things that you could do, you know, with, with realism and skin and just making this character look really like somebody unpleasant, but still a performance that's engaging and, and watchable. I, I jokingly refer to the film as All Creatures Great and Scary. And it seems to me there's such a wealth of characters in this, from eagles to, you know, all, all the different range of characters. Epic landscapes, mm -hmm. as we said, some real technical hurdles, and yet this hasn't really maxed out where to digital, has it? I mean, the company is actually able to handle this. This is not 
basically caused you to lock all the doors and bunker down. You've even been doing other films at the same time. Yes, that's right. We do have other films going on simultaneously. I mean, over the years, we've just developed a number of relationships with other filmmakers, and we you know, wanted to keep those going and keep working on these other projects. So yeah. it must be nice to see this kind of family of artists that have come here and that you've got this complete sort of pipeline structure now that, that gives you such depth in each of the departments rather than just being sort of ramping up for one film and then moving on. Yeah, we've been pretty fortunate. The films that we've gotten to work on over the years, starting with Lord of the Rings, King Kong, you know, Avatar, uh, Planet of the Apes, we've had to do a lot of different kinds of characters, creatures, landscapes, environments, architecture. Pretty much if, if you can see it on film, we've had to create some form of it. And so in, in being able to touch all these areas, we now have departments that can create a river for you and put it inside of a forest and, and build a landscape that you can fly over or have clouds that you can fly through or you know, characters that can fly, creatures that can fly or characters that can talk. There is sort of a, a wealth of experience and techniques that we can draw on that give you the ability to kind of move into any film and just kind of look at what the requirements are and start to understand how you create those fantasy elements that you need. Seems like Weta's particularly good at both contributing at high-end research and development but then allowing that to become a tool that can be moved forward. I mean there are obviously things in this film that benefited from Avatar, there are things that are in Avatar that benefited from films before it. Yeah, our goal has always really been to understand the, the science, the physics, the underpinning behind these techniques that we're creating so that as we advance them, they're based on uh, principles that, that will actually live from one film to another and actually stand the test of time because you're going to understand you know, really what's happening under the surface. At the same time, we adapt them so that they can be artist-driven. You, know, you want to be able to get a performance. You want to like, adjust something so that it looks more fantastic than it might in, in real life because that's the nature of what we do. We try to create something more than what you'd be able to go out and photograph. So as vast as uh, Weta Digital is and as, as complex as the uh, departments are, you still moved from two films to three on this. Did that offer you any new opportunities, any chances to go back and move something back to give you a bit more time to work on it? It, it, it reshuffled a few things, but um, yeah, I mean, from that sense, sure, it gave us more time to work on it, but only in the sense that they got sort of postponed at the other shows because then we brought in more story into this first film that had to be, you know, addressed and, and put on screen. What are you kind of really proud of in terms of Weta and this film? Like, what do you kind of look at and say, wow, this is, I just think either the team or whatever, I'm really proud of this in the film. It, to me, it's, it's really across the board. It's the way all the elements come together. I mean, the focus is still the characters. Like you said, we've got a really good team that, you know, if you, if you really come down to it, you can put a character in a scene where none existed and still have something that we know, you know, an audience will enjoy watching. But in order to make that work, you need everything that goes around it. So, yes, there's the character's performance that you think of, whether that's coming from some combination of actors or animation driving it. But there's the, the textures and the, and the models, you know, the geometry and the detail that the artists have to put into it. There's how these characters respond to light and the way they're lit, you know, being able to light these things cinematically and then building all the landscape that goes around it, whether it's architecture or foliage or clouds or matte paintings. So every department has, has to hit on a very high level to make all these things work to come together. But when you can see it scene after scene after scene, it's really gratifying to know that we have the ability to construct these kinds of worlds in, in, at all levels. Yeah. 
Some people have, you know, been concerned about the advent of technology and it's, um, it, it feels like maybe it excludes the actors a little or doesn't uh, respond as well to them. And in this film, it seems like you've been really good at harnessing technology to enable both the director and the actors to have a more um, inclusive role. And one of the examples of that is, of course, working with the giant, uh, with the um, dwarves and uh, and twin stages. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that for a second, because it seems like great technology, but not for technology's sake. Yeah, we've always enjoyed working with actors. This goes back to Gollum. Our experience working with Andy Serkis was just fantastic. You know, having an actor be the, the soul of a character just makes sense. And we've just wanted to continue that with every character that we create. And so, yeah, when it came to do the, the troll shaw scenes and we're shooting with the trolls, You've got, you know, the dwarves running around now on the set. Well, how do you get them to act with the trolls? Well, we can use that same technology. We can put the trolls on a motion capture stage. They're on an adjacent stage. Peter can see both of them in his camera, as can, you know, Andrew Lesney and all the, the camera team. So when they're framing up a shot, they're seeing the trolls who are being directed by Peter. Their motion is translated into the cameras, and everyone can see what's going on together. And it's as close as we can get to really putting those trolls in front of the actors. Now, the actors don't really have that. They still have markers so they know, you know what they're acting to, but at least they can hear it and they can review it and everyone knows that it's, that it's coming together. And if we could figure out some way to make the trolls be on the set, that would be the next thing that we would do. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously quite a lot of work to make that happen, mm -hmm. um, but clearly it's all about getting that performance and it's great to see that feeding back in. It is because you really don't want the actors to feel like they're they're working in isolation and I know as much as we try there's still situations where we can't make that happen exactly on the set and so sometimes the actors do find themselves still acting in front of a green screen uh, while the other actors are doing their own part but as much as we can we try to bring it as, as close as is physically possible. Of course the other thing is you've got such a great caliber of actors. I mean these are actors that really can act, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. So it must be good to be able to work with them and uh, and have that kind of as, as your base, whether it's motion capture or just on screen. Exactly. It's fantastic because you get that mix, whether it's uh, someone in costume and they're working live or whether they're in a mocap costume and we're turning them into a character, you get that, that back and forth that you get from great actors who are doing a scene together. So just at a personal level, when this project came up, and obviously I'm sure it was talked about for a long time, but there must have been some point when it was fully greenlit. Was there something that you personally thought, I'm really looking forward to going back to that, either because of fond memories or because you wanted a second bite at that uh, particular problem? It was Gollum, just because he was such a great character. And uh, you know, just to know that we'd get to work with him again and to do these scenes with him. And especially in the book, the scenes where the world actually first was introduced to him was kind of you know an, an interesting way to look at it because oh, not only are we not done with them, we're going back to the very first time. And that, that whole riddle sequence is just iconic throughout literature, yet alone now film. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Home is now behind you. The world is ahead. Thanks, Mike. Now in the lead up to Christmas, don't forget, for the VFX genius that has everything, FXPHD offers gift certificates, the perfect VFX present. Visit fxphd.com for more information. And until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.